to me, February is a time of excitement, with things like Valentine's Day and warmer weather rolling in. However, it is perhaps best known in the U.S. as Black History Month. With its roots in Douglas Day and then becoming a week-long event in 1926, Black History Month has been officially recognized and celebrated in the United States since 1976 when, according to National Public Radio, President Gerald Ford advocated for its place in American culture. With Black History Month coming to a close, the Oracle decided we wanted to do a story on black voices on campus. Initially, I was unsure of how we would approach such a project, but after conducting my first few interviews, I realized the story that was unfolding. This episode, we'll be talking with prominent black voices on campus, both student leaders and faculty and staff, about one central topic, black excellence and black joy. Before we begin, I'd like to issue the listeners a content warning. While the theme is about joy and excellence in the black community, it is inseparable from the suffering and pain that black Americans have endured the entirety of American history. In fact, this was a central theme in my conversation with Carlos Sneed, Associate Dean at Hamlin University. I'm Carlos Sneed, Associate Dean of Students. So uh, the first question that I have, and these are just guiding questions. The first question I asked was perhaps the most difficult in my line of questions for our conversation. And looking back, I don't think I would have led with it. But at the same time, it gave me a very, very good insight into what the black experience has been for Carlos and how so intrinsically there is tied the love for culture and expression and joy, but also the long history of pain. To speak on your experience, like what is the essence of your experience as you know a black person in the U.S.? Wow, that's a that's a hard one to start with. The essence of my experience is it's almost um, there, there's a there's some dualism, mm. there's some duality. Uh, W.B. Du Bois talked about the duality of the black experience in America, and I still think that that phrase rings true. It's a he talked about the double consciousness. He talked about you are a warring soul that you're ever aware that you are black, which sometimes does not mean American. And so my experience, that duality is that, yes, I'm American. Technically, I have certain rights, uh, opportunities, certain privileges, certain responsibilities, I will add. But the backdrop of this country is white supremacy and racism, among other forms of oppression. And so the flip side of it is you're aware that there's always a double standard. You're aware that you are not necessarily always seen as American, that you're, there's something unique about your experience. Um, I cannot imagine simply calling myself an American. Um, because Americans don't endure what Black people have had to endure in this country for um, 
400 years. If you think about how we entered this place in 1619 with those indentured servants um, that quickly led to slavery, which was one of the most horrible atrocities visited upon mankind uh, for free labor, free lifelong labor. If you think about the experiences of people of African descent, still in that 400 years, at least 275, 280 of those years were spent, were spent in um, slavery, chattel slavery. Um, that's longer than we've been free. Now, of course, in history, there's always been some free black people, but they weren't afforded full citizenship. So I think there's this, there's this dance that I do in my mind because the world dances with me. Um, and sometimes I'm not sure which dance we're doing. Um, yes, I'm a citizen. Yes, I have certain privileges, but I also come from a people who continue, continue to be victimized and oppressed. Uh, in just about every institution in which Black people live in this country, it is founded on the oppression of Black people. Um, even some of our Black institutions are, were a response to that oppression. So it, it's complicated. Mm. I, I love being an American, but with a critical lens. Um, I smile about being an American. However, my eyebrow slightly goes up because I know the history of the dance of Black people in this country. And a lot of times, of course, the dance is metaphorically. Um, a lot of times uh, we're, 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 we're an afterthought. As painful as it may be, though, Carlos is thankful for his ability to be able to look back and reflect upon Black history knowing the legacy that he carries as a black man in the United States. I love black history. Um, one of the things that was stirring in my soul at the end of January was I, I, I couldn't wait to officially sing, lift every voice and sing with other black bodies um, in my church and in events it just stirs my, my soul deeply. Um, when I was a student, I was a, a psychology major and an African-American and Af let me get the title right. It was African and Afro-American Studies, AFAS, at Washington University. And so just being exposed to that history, uh, it, it gets you through the tough days, the tough weeks. And uh, in Minnesota in particular, we've had some tough, some tough days and some tough weeks lately. For those who do not know, Lift Every Voice and Sing is a hymnal that is also known as the African-American National Anthem. It is a song about the hope and faithfulness in one day being able to be free and to live in a world of liberty. This is a theme that is going to be reoccurring from the numerous people that we are talking to in this episode. This idea of legacy and wanting to carry forward something and the beauty of expression in art and how it is so intrinsically linked to the past. What is more to that? Like, what is that 
element of black joy for you? What, where does that, like, where do you feel that most? I'd like, like to touch a little more on that element. Of I what you brought feel up. it most when I'm in community with other black people mm-hmm. who understand the history, who understand the struggle, who understand the survival and the thriving of black people. That's when I really feel that. And um, as someone who loves the arts, I, I hear it in poems and songs and, and rap even. I see it in dance. I see it in our theater. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a college student of the, of the late 80s, 90s. And so there's this re- reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. I was resistant to watch it, especially when I was hearing that it was dramatic and not comical. But I stayed up last night and I watched all four episodes. And just the richness of the survival of Black people through our dance, through our swagger, through our, through our, our, our laughter, um, so, so definitely I, I feel it in the arts. And arts are a place where even the most oppressed people have freedom mm. and liberation. You think about Jewish Americans before the Holocaust, during the Holocaust, after, and the, the premium of their, their cultural offerings. You think about LGBT people, you think about women, the arts are a place where the, the oppressed have liberty. And Black people have always had a liberty and a freedom in their song, whether it was uh, when they were on the shores of Africa, whether it was when they were in slave castles like Amina or the Cape Coast, whether they were in the bowels of a ship headed to an unknown land, whether it was when some of them jumped overboard Um, whether it was on the plantation and they were singing at night or when they were allowed to go to church and to have to sit upstairs. Um, Just the arts, but the arts come from a place of pain, but also pushing through that pain. And, And I hear it in in the best of our hip hop music. I hear it in, in, in Motown. I, I hear it in Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong and jazz. I, I see it in Alvin Ailey uh, with his revelations piece and just the freedom of the dancers. Bound, but also unbound. Um, and I'm lucky because I, I, I still draw strength from those, those places. Um, I, I hear it in the hymns and even our most contemporary gospel music. I, st- I still hear those slave hollows and those, those dirges and those ditties and those runs and those moans. That's still, that stuff is still relevant, even for people who are so contemporary that they may not understand the past. It's, it's there. I also think about it in sports and I think about it in um, um, the things that have been written. I think about it in terms of art and Jacob Lawrence and um, uh, some of the artists, the, 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 the activists 
the activism through the arts mm. and through athletics. Think about um, Muhammad Ali. I think about in comedy, you know, Red Fox and Moms Mabley, and even even a Dave Chappelle who mm, I'm not sure what I think about Dave most of the time. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's there and it's because those are places where people can still find find a piece of joy and through creative outlet and expression. Well, Carlos finds joy in black excellence in arts and sports. He tells me that Black History Month is much deeper than that for him. And hopefully it's deeper for everyone too. Uh, because we are talking about his- Black History Month, uh, what is what is its importance to you and what do you think the importance of having a month that is a dedicated time to say we are going to focus on this what what importance does that have for you and if you want to speak it largely for others you can as well um for me i think it's that time to pause and be deliberate about my to be deliberate and intentional about how i show up in a way that pays tribute and um, recognizing, valuing, and honoring the ancestors and their sacrifices here. Um, Whether it be broadly in terms of Black people, whether it be uh, Minnesota and those people who navigated, migrated from the South and navigated extreme white supremacy in Minnesota and Wisconsin, whether it is Hamlin and Dr. Anna Arnold Hedgman, who's our first graduate of color. Can't imagine what it must have been like to be the only person of color on campus for four years, 1918 to 1922. So remembering those people, remembering those struggles um, gives me a, a, a lift. It's like it's like wings, um, and I think that that's so important. What I hope it would mean is for the rest of the world, the rest of the of the country, to also pause intentionally, specifically, deliberately, uh, to honor the contributions of Black people. And I've talked a lot about the arts. Um, I think that's a that's a place, but I hope that's not the only place, because we'll. This country is used to black people singing and dancing and tap dancing and um, hitting home runs and knocking out uh, competitors in the ring and, and uh, slam dunking. But I hope it's beyond those superficial um, images and examples of culture. Mm. I want us to go a little bit deeper. Um, and I think that Unfortunately, some people will only think about Black people in uh, the 28 days of Black History Month, February. And they'll only think about us in terms of the extreme oppression that we've endured. And they'll only think about us um, in the past. And some people will only think about us in the modern day that is familiar. So I, I hope that we can expand it. Uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why I studied African-American studies. Uh, it was my first time having an African-American um, teacher. Um, 
And I know that some people come to college and they are still having that experience of having their first black teacher or their first black book that they have to read. Um, their first black lesson plan beyond slavery and Dr. King and Rosa Parks and, and even Obama, President Obama. So I, I hope that for me, it's a, it's a place of grounding and focus and inspiration um, that is specifically focused within these 28 days. But uh, I'm Black 365 days and 366 days in a leap year. Right. And, um, even when I slip and forget that I'm Black in a white country, there's always a reminder, whether it's I'm, I'm you know, in my car or walking across campus or in the mall or thinking about what I'm going to wear the next day, I'm always reminded that I'm Black. So that's what it is for me. Carlos's thoughts on Black History Month and how it is a time to reflect about legacy and carry forward those who came before you connects nicely to the next person that is featured in this episode. Yolanda Armstrong. Hello, my name is Yolanda Armstrong, pronouns of she, her, hers. I am the director of residential life at Hamlin University and have recently celebrated four years, December 18th of last year. Full disclosure, and in the spirit of transparency, Yolanda is one of my supervisors. I also happen to work in residential life, but seeing as this story is not about residential life, I feel ethically comfortable interviewing Yolanda about where she finds excellence and black joy. Here in my office, I have this mug that I'm looking at that I found in Walmart called hashtag eat, sleep and study. And that reminds me of what life was like in my household. My father was always encouraging my sister and my brother and me to focus on academics and to be the best that we could be to achieve um, the best that we could achieve and to represent our family name and to represent our, our, ourselves well and to really focus on academics. They worked really hard as parents to give us everything we needed and most of what we wanted. And so for me, when I think about black excellence, it's just my father's legacy that he has left for my family, my brothers and uh, my brother and sister is just being able to use your head to get you through college and to be successful and to be a productive citizen and to give back to the community and to society and to just help pay it forward, to do the best we can, to achieve as much as we can and to help others along the way. So for me, that is what Black Excellence stands for. It's just what my family's legacy has has been, just always crossing my T's and dotting my I's and making sure that I am an excellent representative of my family's name and as a person of color. When I asked Yo where she finds black joy, it was interesting to see that she made a similar connection to Carlos and that for her, music plays a big role in it. I recently went home to Texas to have my fiance meet my parents and brought back about 60 uh, vinyl albums. And as I've been listening to them, my parents are divorced and it was a very tumultuous time in their marriage that my memories, 
But listening to Grover Washington and Teddy Pendergrass and Natalie Cole and um, just Nina Simone, it just brought back memories of when my parents were together as a black couple and had joy. And so I really got to thinking like, wow, these albums are really important to me because I would hear a song and then I just would remember us dancing in the living room where my parents having parties and people coming over and just lots of stylish African-Americans with their bell bottoms and their afros and their combs and their earrings and their jewelry listening to these songs and the Minnie Rippertons and the Phoebe Snows. And it's just like, wow, that to me is just another, it just brought joy to my soul thinking back on the good times when my parents were happy in their relationship and not the sad times. And so that music really stirs up uh, memories and um, just the feeling and the sentiment of black joy. Yeah. It's a great story. No, it's, thank you. I was just like, how can I, like, what does this mean to me? And I was like, wow. And just recently, because we went there the 27th of January and came back, and I've been listening to these albums, and just there's, what is it called, an earworm? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I remember we would dance to this. And so that, who knew that albums would sort of kind of stir up those feelings? Of, of emotion because all I remember vividly were the arguments and the the chaos and their unhappiness being with each other but those albums really um, helped me remember that there was joy in their relationship as a black couple. In wrapping up my interview with Yolanda, I asked her if there was anything else that she wanted to talk about when it came to black excellence or black joy. And she had to bring up one thing. As a proud sorority member herself, she could not talk about black Greek life at universities throughout the nation. I think the last thing, well, what resonates most recently is I just saw an email from the Hedgeman Center about um, black Greek organizations coming together. And just the legacy of being a member of a sorority and a member of the Divine Nine Historically Black College and University uh, sorority and fraternities, there is this expectation of black excellence. It doesn't matter what color you wear, fraternity, sorority, <clears throat> no matter what the letter, we're all Greek together. And just making sure that everyone is the best representative that they can be for the founders and for the initial reason that that organization was created in the first place, philanthropy, humanitarian, you know, service to all mankind, and just so proud to be part of that legacy and that sisterhood. And my father's a member of fraternity and just that brotherhood. And just knowing that wherever I go, whether or not, like when I moved to Minnesota, Texas, Atlanta, D.C., it just was so comforting to know that I could look in the directory and reach out to someone and I instantly had something in common with people who I could meet, talk to, go out, learn the city, have dinner with. And so that is just um, something that 
I wanted to say that I know a lot of people might not understand Greek life and what it's all about, but it has definitely made the world a smaller place and um, a more comfortable environment for me and being able to uh, just talk about that. And it really is, it's not for everybody, but when you do, if you do, it just, um, it just touches your heart and you just have this built in brotherhood and sisterhood that, um, you might not necessarily have with your family members because you can't choose your family members, but you can choose your friends and the people with whom you interact. So I'm just grateful for, um, what being a member of sorority has given me years ago and what it still is doing today are some of my, my very best friends. Beyond expression and legacy, there was one more theme that I now realized that Yolanda had brought up, and it connected to what Carlos and others had said to me. It was that of community, that there was a bond and love that you could feel in so many places. Like when Carlos said that he found joy in being with other black bodies singing in church, and how Yolanda found a community as a member of a historically black sorority, something that the next person featured in this piece also finds deeply important to her identity as a black person. So my name is Jasmine Clawson Thomas. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a junior this year, and I am the president of the Black Student Collective. Just a quick editor's note. I'm not sure what was happening with our recording software virtually, but the audio isn't the best. It's at sometimes echoey or cuts in and out, but for the most part, it's listenable. And I think that it's important to include what Jasmine has to say as well. So uh, could you just tell us a little bit about what the uh, Black Student Collective is? Like what, 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 uh, what your whole purpose uh, for having the org is? So the Black Student Collective serves as one of the main multicultural orgs on campus. And I feel like our main goal is to really create an inclusive and equitable space for students to be themselves and come with any concerns they may have and to have fun and build a safe community. It seems like developing that place of community where people can be themselves is deeply important not only to Jasmine, but to the others that have been featured in this piece so far. And interestingly enough, Jasmine combines these ideas of community and legacy into how she experiences Black excellence and Black joy. To you, what, what, is, what is Black excellence? What does that look like? What does that mean? I know it's a phrase that we hear so often um, especially during Black History Month, but what does that like mean like at your at your core? I feel like it definitely is different for everyone, but for me personally, I view Black excellence as Black joy. So like I work with little kids, for example, um, a lot of them are like low income students of color across the street at the elementary school. And just like, even just seeing them like get a word correctly in the sentence that they're reading, like that is black excellence and black joy to me because that you can tell that that child feels good about themselves and feels like, okay, like I can actually do this, even though unconsciously the system is set up to fail us. So it's that, I guess it's that, that feeling of like, 
celebration of the fact that you are able to accomplish things despite not only having your own struggles in life as an individual, but having the struggles in a system that's been built to stack the cards against you. Yeah, exactly. If you could give just a piece of advice to a black student or somebody who's listening to this about, you know, about black excellence, what would be the one tip advice you would give them for either exploring it more or exuding it more, or just even a piece of advice of like going through life? What would it be? That's so hard. I think one that I one piece of advice that I would give is that even if you do not feel like you are worthy or like you're at your best at a certain point, you always are. Like your worth does not go away just because something bad happened to you or like something said something rude to you. Like you still have an infinite amount of worth and potential no matter your background, socioeconomic status, whatever. So, yeah. After talking with Jasmine, I had the honor and pleasure to attend a Black Student Collective event, their sitcom night. It was a night where we got to sit down and watch all sorts of Black media, everything from the Jeffersons to Living Single. And while I was there, I was able to talk to two student leaders on campus about how they view Black excellence and Black joy. The first I was able to talk to was Pearl Buabang. She is a junior at Hamlin and, full disclosure, is a co-worker of mine. However, once again, seeing how this piece is not about Red's life, I want to include what she has to say. You know, what does Black excellence mean to you? Yes, um, I think she's like seeing representation, you know, like seeing the representation and like, around the school specifically here at hamlin um and just basically being there for each other i feel like that's kind of what like bsc does like we're i mean the black population here is kind of bigger than like expected but we don't really have that chance to be united you know so at least speaking from like the treasure of bsc black excellence so it's just like being united and be there to, for each other and supporting each other what is black joy for you Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. First of all, I think being able to not worry about the color of your skin or about how you're going to be treated or about just like anything while living, you know, um, I think being able to be in a room with many diverse um, cultures and many diverse um, languages and whatever it is, but also that feeling like you are needed and wanted and also heard. For me, that's what Black Joy is. The second person I was able to speak to that night was Fatima, who, funny enough, was the event organizer, the one who put together the Black Sitcom Night. I am Fatima Manawa. I am I'm a third year here at Hamlin. My major is political science with a minor in legal studies. Um, for me, Black excellence, I guess the typical response would be like, you know, schooling and all those things and getting like the typical American dream but for me I think the excellence really is having like I feel like black people and like black people of color in general don't have the leisure to like 
explore passions and do things for fun. So for me, like black excellence is kind of striving to live a life just past working, you know what I mean? And enjoying each other as like community. I feel like that's something that I really wanted to do with this event is like having people be together and having fun and like, you know, being able to like enjoy each other and not just feel the need to like achieve things all the time. Yeah. Black excellence for me is like, it's a wonderful idea, but I feel like it can get toxic sometimes. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then my second one is, where do you find black joy the most? Um, I think I find black joy in like my friends. I like being around, you know, like I've been really lucky at Hamlin because I really went to like a mostly white school. So like when I came to Hamlin, I was really lucky to find a lot of like black people and people of color who I became friends with. And I think that's the joy, like, you know, being together, being able to learn from each other and learning, um, learning how to appreciate myself through, you know, the people I've met and through the bonds that I've been able to like form with other people, you know? So, yeah. Through talking with these three student leaders, it became clear to me that those themes of legacy, expression, and community were so deeply important to all of them in their own way. And it was also cool to see that it connected to an older generation of Black voices on campus as well. There is one more person that I would like to include in this program before we finish, and that's President Faye Miller of Hamlin University. Sadly, President Miller was not able to sit down with me for a formal conversation, but she was able to send me a statement, which I will read in full. As the first African-American president of Hamlin University, I'm so thankful that she was able to take time out of her day to send me this statement. Begin quote. I grew up during the civil rights movement and witnessed history unfold in my hometown and around the country. My parents were actively involved in marches for civil rights, the local NAACP, and housing those headed to Washington, D.C. for the Poor People's March. So, Black Joy is important to me because my parents and so many others fought hard for freedom, liberty, and justice for all. They fought for equal treatment, access, and opportunities, and our ability to find joy in who we are and what we have accomplished. As the first black president of Hamlin University, and the first in so many other places and ways, I find joy in what those before me made possible, the life I live and the opportunities I have been given. I will not take the sacrifices of those who came before me for granted. I try to give back through my words and actions, to tear down stereotypes and misconceptions, to bridge the gap of misconceptions and negativity based on skin color. Black joy is about being proud of who I am and my history, our history. Black joy is about giving those coming behind me a reason to believe in the possible. Black joy is about forgiving myself when the decisions I make in regard to race-related situations disappoint others, black joy is about having the courage to embrace all of who I am, my past, my present, and hopefully, my future. End quote. 
President Fanie Smiller, PhD, Hamlin University. This episode of After Deadline was produced and edited by myself, Jacob Alloy. Andrea Lindner, the Oracle's editor-in-chief, served as the editorial advisor. The music included in this episode is courtesy of Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Special thanks to everyone featured in this piece. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous episodes at our website, hamlinuniversityoracle.com. After Deadline is a production of the Oracle, Hamlin University's independent student news publication.